So, hey, everyone, welcome to an episode of No Good People podcast, a weekly journey into the colorful conversations I have with my friends and family, acquaintances and strangers who eventually become my friends. I stockpile great stories and many memoirs of the people I admire and hoping to give life to their words, their ideas and everyday musings. My guest tonight has been an educator for 30 years, working in urban communities all over the country, but mostly in the New York City area. He's a national leader in curriculum design and delivery of professional development. He started three schools, a youth center, a nonprofit for boys and young men, and a support organization for social impact educators and leaders. Currently serves with Epsilon Chapter New York City. And though he's been there since 19, he's probably really only looks like he's maybe about 30. If you want to be inspired or need a definition of light begets light, black excellence, then you'll want to know this good brother. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to introduce you to my friend, Clyde Cole. Hey, Clyde. Thank you, Rhea. Thank you for the kind words, most of which I wrote, but thank you anyway. <laughs> uh, no, really, is a, a great introduction. Thank you very much. It's about knowing good people, about the good people that I know, and you're that good person tonight. Thank you. Thank okay. you. Okay. So, Clyde, tell me, you know, where you're from. What makes Clyde Clyde? Uh, I am from Brooklyn, New York, uh, born yes, and raised. Brooklyn. Yep. Uh, born in Crown Heights. And then like right before my 11th birthday, we moved to East Flatbush. And um, that's where I've been ever since. My mother still lives in that home. Um, I'm in Brooklyn, New York now. Um, back in Crown Heights, um, I own a, a one bedroom apartment. Um, not too far, like three or four blocks away from where I went to elementary school. Uh, so it's a nice little homecoming for me. And this month made 20 years that I've lived here. Believe it oh, or not. wow. Is, uh, is that true? 20 years? No, 21 years. Okay. 21 years. Yep. Yep. Because I, I, I moved here in February uh, 2000. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, um, it's really interesting to be in this neighborhood again and to be here um, with the change of the neighborhood and knowing what it used to look like and seeing how it looks now. And it's interesting to work and live and love and laugh in the place where you grew up. Um, it's, it's not uh, all that common, um, especially uh, for folks who grow up in big cities, you know, they tend to uh, maybe move to another big city or move to the suburbs or something else. Um, and then you have folks like me who um, kind of a lifer here in Brooklyn. Um, but I'm first generation American. Uh, my parents are from Panama. My uh, grandparents are from Jamaica. And uh, so I have a little bit of Caribbean culture, a little bit of West Indian culture, a little bit of Central American culture, a little bit of uh, Latino culture, you know, from the Spanish speaking element. And um, so I'm kind of a cultural mutt in a sense, um, but I have, a, I have a lot going on, a lot of influences. And uh, somebody who was raised Catholic, went to Catholic school all the way to 12th grade and uh, my Korean education, as you mentioned before, uh, it started with the Catholic schools. So um, I'm uh, still connected to the Catholic school system in one way or another. Uh, that's where I cut my teeth uh, professionally. And mm -hmm. so uh, the, the Catholic system has been a gigantic part of my life. So those are just some things that sort of, you know, make me who I am. So let me ask this question, why Brooklyn? Because, you know, I noted that in your, in your bio, you talked about that you've kind of been all over the country. So, but what makes what made you come back to Brooklyn? So I had applied for 
Teach for America, um, which uh, understanding my age was a brand new thing um, back then. Uh, the first group of students in the Teach for America Corps um, went, to, went into urban schools around the country in the fall of 1990. And that was my senior year in college. So there were people out there starting to do it. And so therefore we didn't know what it would be like. It was a brand new idea. We didn't have people mm -hmm. who had completed it for one year yet. And I had just decided the previous spring at the end of my junior year to go into education. And I thought this could be a way because I decided so late in college, I didn't take education courses. So right. I said, you know, I wanted to still get out on time. Um, and this could be a way where I could, you know, still have my degree and still go into teaching right after school. And while I was working on that and also thinking about um, the possibility of getting some sort of temporary interim license that would help me jump into public schools right away out of college mm -hmm. without having all the education courses, maybe I was just exploring that. Um, my high school basketball coach and guidance counselor uh, left a message on my answering machine in my college dorm, in my, who was in the dorm in my apartment. But I came home one day and I uh, played the answering machine and it was him saying, hey, I know you want to be a teacher and you're applying to that Teach for America thing and that's great. But, you know, I know a guy, he's a priest and he's about to start a middle school for boys in Harlem um, at the same place where you did your Christian service as a senior here four years ago. Um, I know that guy, I trust him really, I trust him a ton. All you have to do is give him a call, right? I'm not saying take the job. I don't know if he'll give you the job, but as a favor to me, just give him a call. That's all I ask. And after that, you know, whatever happens, happens. And I called him and, you know, the rest is history. So um, instead of getting, I got into Teach for America too, which mm -hmm. shocked, which shocked everybody, including me. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, uh, they wanted to send me to teach uh, elementary school bilingual classes in Compton, California. And I said, no. And I probably would have said yes, if not for this other opportunity to come back home. And so uh, I, I had the opportunity, and I wasn't like looking for a job in New York City exactly. Wherever Teach for America was going to send me would have been probably fine. But you know, I told my parents were Panamanian. They assumed I was bilingual. I wasn't, um, okay. you know, I wasn't interested in teaching um, little kids. I thought I was better for middle school and high school. And so it was a, a couple other things in the context of comparing it to this other opportunity, which was middle school, all boys, I thought was pretty cool. Being part of a founding team of something uh, at such a young age and so early in my career, I thought was great. And then, like I said, you know, being able to come back home and I had an opportunity to possibly live in Harlem and be close, but I decided to get an apartment in Brooklyn um, with a friend of mine that I went to middle school and high school with who was graduating oh, wow. at the same time. So, um, you know, yeah, we were both coming back home for, you know, way different jobs. I was at a small Catholic middle school in Harlem and he was an associate at Goldman Sachs, but, you know, we sort of a professional odd couple, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were able to, you know, get, we got an apartment together downtown Brooklyn. And so, um, you know, the commute wasn't wasn't bad at all. And uh, so I was able to come back home to Brooklyn and uh, start my career uh, in, in Manhattan. In so you're commuting currently too? 
No, um, right now, you know, I'm an educational consultant. And so uh, that just means I take lots of itty bitty part-time jobs doing various things in the education space. And there's small contracts here or there, either okay. with me individually or with um, a consulting firm or two that sort of has me on their roster. And then when they get big contracts, then they call me up um, as an independent contractor and let me know, um, you know, I have this thing, maybe you could do it. They make the match and then I go out there and then the firm would pay me. So sometimes I'll my own hustle. Sometimes they hit me up and let me know that they have things for me. And in the pandemic, there are very few opportunities for me to go into schools and work with teachers or work with leaders. A lot of it is exactly where you see me now, sitting at home in my little okay. home office at my desk on my laptop. So no commuting. Uh, I haven't been commuting for a really, it seems like a really, really, really long time, but it's been about the same amount of time as everybody else. I remember I had to jump into a school that I was working with pretty frequently um, the day after the, the announcement for the um, New York State shutdown was made. Because um, that, that week was the week where there'd be no kids, but the adults had to go in. And so it was to help them make the transition as best they could with only a couple of days notice, obviously. And then after that, that was it. So that's really been the last time I've been in a school was uh, about okay. whatever that was, second or third week in March. So almost yep. a year. That's right. That's right. It's almost a year next month. In less than, in less than, a, in less than a month, it'll be a year. Mm -hmm. Wow. So really how, you know, tell me a little bit about you know, you talk about the fact that you are consulting a lot of different schools. Is it mostly in New York? Is it all over the country? Um, you know, are you still, because you said that it's difficult for you to find some contracts right now, just because of the pandemic, um, I guess, like, how are you navigating around this, you know, doing the work that you love to do? Sometimes it's uh, outside of uh, New York City, but it's mostly New York City. The types of things that I do uh, it was sort of a crowded market in a sense, you know, because I usually coach leaders, um, either school leaders or school system leaders on a variety of things. Um, sometimes I would actually, you know, sit elbow to elbow, so to speak, and coach teachers. Um, so there's there are lots of people doing that, um, either in the school systems or, um, you know, getting folks from the outside and some of these uh, private organizations to help these schools and school systems build up capacity to do that. And when the a quarantine hit, the New York City public school system turned to the organization, the main organization that I had worked for and said, that's it, sorry, we're not honoring the rest of, your con the rest of the contract, your, uh, the contracts we have with you for the rest of the year. And that was basically the entire fourth quarter, right? April, mm -hmm. May, June. So in mid-May, they said, hey, we're closing forever. So it was this oh, gigantic no. shock. Uh, and then at the end of the summer, they were like, hey, we figured out a way to come back. So it was, it, was, it was this really weird time. And so there was a big pocket of time for me and lots of people like me who just didn't know what the future was going to look like professionally. And so that combined with a lot of schools and school systems looking at their budgets and saying, we don't have the extra money and the money would go to, who knows, you know, keeping the schools extra clean, 
know, PPE for our, for our um, teachers and the other adults, um, technology to be able to give to our students and families, especially if we have them uh, who are living in underserved communities. There's, sort of, there's no sort of extra money for that kind of stuff. And so because of the longevity of my career, I have you know, personal relationships with folks, uh, professional relationships with folks where I'm able to make connections. You know, they'll let me know about an opportunity um, because they've referred me to someone that they know who has a particular need, but just the regular sort of hanging out my shingle and you know, waiting for someone to call me up because I'm connected to a firm or two, that's been um, a, little, uh, a little light. And some of those folks are outside of New York City, but most of them are in, inside New York City. Okay. So how do you think you've been managing with that? It's been interesting um, because it's catch as catch can. And, it, and then that makes me have these uh, almost wildly varied weeks, right? And, you know, some weeks are super heavy and some are super light. Uh, some weeks are uh, light during the day, uh, but really heavy in the evening. Um, uh, and some of that is a time zone thing. And some of that is because I'm working with folks who uh, are f- more free to work with me uh, when they're done working during the school okay. day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, you know, so, so it could be a light week, a heavy week. It could be, you know, heavy during the day and light in the evening or vice versa. And it's really just like week to week and it's very seasonal. And uh, so this past week where New York City public schools were closed and a lot of private schools too, it was a, it was a relatively light week. Um, and then things will start ramping up, you know, over the next mm-hmm. couple of weeks as well. And then the spring is kind of weird because different schools and school systems have uh, different, different spring breaks. So, gotcha. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that, that'll play a factor. And then some school systems end in May and then New York City Public Schools, for example, they end like third or fourth week of June. So um, it's a, a sort of roller coaster ride. You sort of you, you can try to project, but it's really sort of how the work um, comes to you. And folks are really worried about making long-term commitments as well, because no matter what they say or no matter what they aren't hearing. Uh, they're all hoping that things will revert to normal or at least some sort of new normal that includes everybody being back in buildings every day. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to commit to something that works really well in this paradigm. So, uh, you know, everybody's tentative and you have to sort of understand that. And so you know, it is what it is, but it's fine. It's fun. I, I find it fun. What have you learned about yourself though during this time? Oh, good question. Patience, open to listening. I kind of feel I was always a flexible person. That was always really important in my in my work with kids and in my work with adults, um, especially uh, when I was in leadership positions formally. Being flexible is really really important. Nice, nice. You talked a little bit about religion just now, right? And your relationship, um, and you also said that you grew up in a Catholic. Uh, school, Catholic education, and, and as did I, right? So from the age of six through high school, I, you know, I was educated in Catholic schools. Mm-hmm. So how do you think that that's kind of helped shape your relationship with, um, with 
religion? How do you think that shaped your relationship as, you know, as an educator, as a leader? Yeah, it's, um, I always had respect for religion as an institution and, mm-hmm. you know, and, 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 and the Catholic religion. And uh, I always associated Catholic schools as being these high quality institutions. You know, they had values that they uh, put right out there and, you know, they weren't afraid to, to talk about them. They weren't afraid to be that type of institution, even when it was difficult, even when it was unpopular. Um, they seem to be schools who try to serve um, the, the underserved. You know, they seem to be in these uh, neighborhoods and in these communities uh, where, uh, you know, folks uh, really needed quality education, but not only that, like safe spaces. Uh, I think sometimes when you get to the high school level that it feels less the case uh, but certainly, um, you know, from uh, kindergarten through eighth grade, you know, you have a lot of these uh, Catholic schools out there that are, that are still like that. You know, mm-hmm. they were definitely like that when we were kids. And I feel like the ones that are still around, the ones that have been fortunate to stay open are still are still that way. Uh, so I, had, I always had like a lot of respect. Um, and then, you know, when I got older and I was able to have more discernment around things, uh, you know, I'd be able to pick up on things that, may have seen hypocritical um you know it's like you know like what you know all these men you know it's like oh wow they're no black saints and you know are priests and nuns the same or you know but they nuns seem you know secondhand or subservient and that's not right and you know there are all these kinds of things that sort of made me question the institution i you know always tried to keep with me the lessons that I learned and the values that I thought um, they were trying to espouse. And so it's been a constant, I, I, you know, I call it being in a state of compromise. You know, um, you know, I haven't left the Catholic religion formally. I haven't renounced it. You know, I haven't, um, uh, I don't say I used to be Catholic. Um, so, you know, I still very much consider myself Catholic. And um, I have relationships with folks in uh, Catholic institutions. Uh, just today, I was named um, to be uh, on the admissions committee of uh, the board of trustees of LaSalle Academy, which is an all boys Catholic high school on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. So that was Congrats. nice. Thank you, Congrats. thank you. Um, it's nice because I'm, I'm not quite a board member which means they're not quite asking me for money yet. So that's kind of cool. Because <laughs> um, it's uh, coming. Yeah, it's, it's, it's coming. It's coming. But, you know, they don't know me well. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, the principal who does know me well uh, recommended my name and, you know, put me in touch with the president. And we've been trading some emails. And then so today they were like, you know, all good. We'll let you know when the next committee meeting is. So <clears throat> this is what they do with folks who might be good board members, but they don't know really well yet. And, ah, okay. and, they, and they don't really assume that they would know the school well yet either. So join a committee of the board. You get to meet the board members. You get to learn a lot about the school, obviously. And then, you know, if we both still like each other, then you know, we'll go from there. So, you know, still very much plugged into Catholic education, um, you know, as appropriate, when appropriate. And, uh, but it is, it is a, it is a life, um, or, or at least a sentiment, a mentality of, uh, of compromise for me. 
I also think that it's a sentiment, at least in Black communities, that Catholic schools are upper echelon of schools, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we weren't raised Catholic. Um, we were raised in traditional like Baptist or AME churches, you know, from my, my father was a Baptist, my mother was AME. Um, so, you know, they went to separate churches, but I would go to, I primarily went to church with my dad, but I would sometimes go to church with my mother too. Um, but I was always in a Catholic school because it was better than the public school, right? Mm -hmm. They were, mm -hmm. you know, smaller classrooms, mm -hmm. um, um, more attention was devoted to individual students. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, for me, it was always kind of that you learn one thing in church on Sundays, but then like Monday through Friday, you know, it was, it was straight like Hail Marys, right? And, you right. know, for me, the best thing about being in a Catholic school was always the music because I just loved hearing the music, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it be the hymns or whatever. So did you ever feel the pressure or the, I guess the desire or an obligation to go back and teach specifically in Catholic school? So that way those students of color, black, Latino, could see someone that you didn't see? Yeah, that was a big draw for that first uh, job that I had out of college, being a founding teacher at a small Catholic middle school. I was like, oh, wow, okay. Um, this is an opportunity for me to have a black teacher way, for them to have a black teacher way earlier than I did. Mm -hmm. I didn't have a black teacher until I went to college. And okay. I, don't, I don't think I would have had one unless I took certain electives. Um, and so, uh, I was like, wow, this is really cool. They're going to have like, you know, a black teacher who is like a real teacher, you know, like, you know, not, not uh, somebody who is only the disciplinarian, you know, but doesn't teach a real academic subject. And there wasn't any of that stuff. You know, I was teaching math and I was teaching grammar and, you know, these were really important subjects and you could very much see the value in them no matter who you were. And so it was really important for me to sort of represent that for middle school kids in, in a way that I didn't have. But it was also interesting because I always said to myself, well, not it wasn't to make Catholicism cool, exactly, but I thought it would be good for them to see um, a model of a black person who was young and who like really took Catholicism seriously and, you know, really knew when the holy days of obligation were and, you know, able to tell stories about them and, you know, talk about the things that I learned in my religion classes, which even though I didn't take any in, in college, you know, I just graduated from, that was only four years before, you know what I mean? Because, you know, I just, you know, that was high school. So uh, for me to be conversant in Catholicism uh, and try to in that way, but also, like I said, in the academic way, like buck a lot of stereotypes. Uh, that was really that was really important for me, and so I was happy to be able to get that opportunity to go to a Catholic school, especially at the ground level, and and be that for kids, so that they would aspire to be that, and 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 could figure out a way to see themselves in that, and say that that was a possibility for them, um, but also just have the good influence of having a competent um, both competent person, both, you know, religiously and academically, you know, as an adult in their lives every day. And an advocate. Mm -hmm. Yep. Right. Yep. Because, you know, I didn't have that. Mm -hmm. We were taught that, you know, everybody's equal, but 
I knew deep down that we really weren't, but I didn't know how to verbalize that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that it's great that you were there, particularly so young. Yeah. Because people, yeah. I think that kids kind of relate to that a little easier than they do if someone is, you know, at that age, if someone's in their 50s or 60s, because that's their mother and that's their father or their grandparent, right? But you, um, you're more of a peer. Right. So right. they actually think that, okay, he can actually understand what I'm feeling on any given day because right. it wasn't that it wasn't that long ago that he was in my shoes. So right. And another aspect of that was I wasn't a priest. Yes. You know what I mean? So because if I was all those things that I said, but I was a priest, then I'd be like, oh, it's because you're a priest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me to be a lay person, for me to be like a regular person, um, but also sort of religiously competent and you know to be this, you know, academically, you know, um, competent person because you know I was good enough to teach them you know math and English and the, and the like like that I thought that was also important for them too and you know we had the same upbringing and you know I'm from Brooklyn but you're from Harlem or you're from the Bronx and that's fine um, and we listen to the same music and so on and so forth so I thought that the aspect too of not being a priest I thought uh, really helped them uh, as an uh, help it did wonders for me but I think also helped them to be able to visualize themselves differently, um, you know, when it came to me being in front of them all the time. Mm-hmm. I think it's great that you said it did wonders for you too. Oh yeah, yeah. Awesome. It's 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 easily still. It's easy. I mean, this is my thirtieth year, um, and uh, those first six years, uh, um, the most treasured years of my of my career. Really? Sure. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's amazing to see it full circle, isn't it? Like, you know, you start from being a high school student yourself. So you only see yourself in that, in that frame. And then now all of a sudden you're like the adult and the leader. It's nice. It's nice. Um, I, uh, when I, when I became a principal, um, I hired uh, one of my former students uh, as a teacher. So that was like really cool. So like I was his teacher when he was in middle school and then, you know, he was, a te- he was one of my, he was one of my founding teachers. So yeah, I've been, able to have really cool um, connections uh, that I've been able to maintain over the years with some of the kids. And it's always good to run into them uh, as adults. Yeah. So give me the timeline. So after high school, college, where'd you go to college? Uh, I went to Northwestern University, uh, just outside of Chicago. Then I came back to Brooklyn, um, came back home, uh, worked in Harlem. Uh, as a as a founding teacher of a small middle school for boys, mm-hmm. and then I left there and went to uh, I went back to the parish where I was baptized, Saint Ignatius, uh, and they had a bunch of youth programs there, and um, a Jesuit and I went back to my parish, my old parish, and we. Uh, started a youth center there. So we took the existing youth programs and made it a youth center. It made a, made a 501c3 so we could get grant money. We formalized things. We had these specific kinds of partnerships that we developed with a lot of the schools in the area. So um, there I was a founder again, right? A co-founder of something else and a different kind of homecoming, you know, this time working in Brooklyn, working back in my old neighborhood, and you then, gotta see the names of these places. You gotta give the names oh, of the organizations. Come on now. Okay, my fault, my fault. Um, so uh, when I was in Harlem, that was uh, Gonzaga, the Gonzaga Middle School. Um, that was based at St. Aloysius School. Um, the name of the youth center is the Loyola Youth Center. 
um, named after the founder of the Society of Jesus, the founder of the Jesuits, St. Ignatius Loyola. Uh, so we just called it Loyola Youth Center. Uh, I was there for two years and then uh, I, like I was missing school. It was very okay. different from school. Um, and um, somebody that I used to teach with and kind of sort of supervise because I was like the veteran mentor teacher when he came on. Uh, he had left, he stayed with us for two years and then left and he was at Yale Law School. And he had heard about a bunch of Yale Law School students and alums who were working to start a charter school in New Haven where Yale was. And so he called me up and said, I don't know what you're doing now, not sure, but they're looking for a principal of this school that's gonna open. And I know you like to open stuff, so you should apply. So I applied, didn't get it, but they made me uh, like one of the assistant principals. I was like the assistant principal person in charge of math. So I was there for a year. Um, this was uh, Amistad Academy. Okay. So it was in New Haven, Connecticut. So I was a founding administrator and lead teacher because I also taught math. Um, ruling first year, uh, really good work. Um, and uh, I was like the most experienced person there, which was super weird, you know, because uh, I was still relatively young. And when I left, I thought I was going to possibly uh, leave New York forever. You know, I actually uh, left on my uh, 30th birthday, um, which is weird. Like, you know, actually driving up there on my 30th birthday. I was like, wow, I would have never thought that I would be leaving New York City forever, possibly, especially like on my birthday. Um, but, you know, I was only there for a year. Um, and uh, I was talking to, some, to the guy who hired me back in Harlem a few years before that. You know, he's a, still a professional mentor of mine back then and still is now. So I was talking to him about how, how hard of a year it was for me, although the work was good. And he said, you know, you should be like a normal person and you should go work in a place that didn't exist, that existed before you got there. That's what I did. And so uh, I left there and I taught at a Jesuit high school named St. Peter's Prep. So I moved back to Brooklyn um, and uh, moved here, moved to this place. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, I've lived here ever since. And, uh, you know, made the commute, uh, which was really, really quick. Um, getting used to uh, not knowing everything in the institution and not knowing everyone in the institution. And, you know, like he said, you know, being in a place that existed way before I was there, uh, I was just sort of getting used to that and not, and not being in a formal leadership position. Uh, and that happened. And then I kind of like wanted to know everything that was going on. Like that sort of triggered that for me. So at the end of that year, I wound up leaving and going to NYU full time um, so I could get my degree in administration because I knew that I wanted to go back into leadership formally. I needed a degree and I felt like I was possibly in a catch 22 where they might not give me the job unless I have the license. And so, uh -huh. you know, um, uh, but you know, they might have given it to me without a license if I had the experience, but I couldn't get the experience without a license, like that kind of thing. So, uh, so I went to NYU and uh, I was there for two years and um, I did research for the school, which helped to pay for my education. And then while I was there, I started this other program called the REACH program, um, which was a middle school enrichment program for, um, for boys in the New York City area who were in the poor and working class income level. 
uh, but it was based out of my old high school. Um, so I was the first assistant director there. So that was a part-time gig, which was able, which allowed me to like still be in school full-time, but also work for the university full-time. So that was a busy kind of uh, two years. And then I went to the Leadership Academy, the New York City Leadership Academy, which was this one year principal training program. Mm -hmm. And while I was in that, I did the designs for my own uh, my own school. You know, the, the city back then with Mayor Bloomberg, he was encouraging people to write proposals for brand new schools because I'm cutting up the big comprehensive schools that have had low graduation rates for decades. And so we're gonna to try to maybe fit multiple schools in one building and maybe rename some schools and bring in some new leadership and bring some new themes and all of that. So write proposals. So I did that. And when I graduated from Leadership Academy in 05, I was also, I became the founding principal of um, an all boys six through 12 school in Bed-Stuy. Um, I was there for five years, and then I left to um, run um, a program very similar to the Leadership Academy called New Leaders in New York City and Newark. Um, New Leaders is a national nonprofit organization that does training of educators uh, who want to be school leaders. Uh, they had an aspiring principals program, so I ran the aspiring principals program for New Leaders um, in the New York City and Newark region. I did that for a year. Then I got promoted to be managing director of all the programs in the region. Did that for a year. Then I got promoted uh, to run um, the content and curriculum for all the programs across the nation. And then after that, I became um, a district administrator up in Syracuse, New York. Um, but I was there for two years. Then I became a district administrator back here in New York City. And the thing that New York City hired me to do, three weeks later, the state said the city didn't have to do it anymore. Three so, weeks later. Yeah. So the, sto the short story is education law came out and said all school districts have to have this program in place. They have to have a specific program in place for teachers. Um, and New York City was fighting it. They were like, we're too big and too complicated. You know, we want a waiver. And New York State was like, mm, we'll let you know. And so the city said, well, if we don't know, but if we don't hear from them by this date, then we have to start hiring people to run the program in case they tell us no. So they didn't tell them, they started hiring people, including me. And then, I, so I got there in early June. And then right before the end of, the, of that fiscal year, uh, which is June 30, mm -hmm. the, state, the state said, yeah, you have your waiver, don't worry about it. And then you right. had to learn how to, then you realized how flexible you were. Right. <laughs> so how flexible I'd better be. Right. 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 I better, right, right. I better become. Yeah. So I so I was there for like less than a year because of that, and uh, I've been consulting ever since. You know, okay. uh, I started my own nonprofit uh, for boys and young men uh, that helps them with uh, social emotional learning and teaching them social emotional skills. Um, and uh, I started that other program that you mentioned uh, for. Um, social impact and social justice leaders. It's called Impact Ed. Um, uh, I didn't start either of those things alone. I had a co-founder with Partnership for Boys. That was the nonprofit for the social emotional piece. And then I have uh, four co-founders for Impact Ed. So um, still working on both of those things. You know, when I can, um, neither one of them make me money, but you know, they are um, 
know, passions for me uh, in both regards and uh, always, always, always opportunities for me to, to learn more about myself and be able to parlay some of that knowledge um, into the other work where I do get paid. But, you know, it's all good, all good stuff. So those two really, right now, your passion projects? Yep, for sure, for sure. I spent a lot of time on both of them. So, I mean, I wanted to know how people can learn more about your two organizations, your two passion projects. So if they wanted to donate, can people donate to that? Can they donate their time, their talent, their 10th? I mean, that, you know, that money. Yep, how can people yep. do that? Where can they find your organizations? Uh, the best the best thing to do right now is just email me at clyde.cole at gmail.com um, because uh, when folks donate, I always want them to, uh, I, like I always want to talk to them, right? Um, you know, these organizations are small and relatively new. And so uh, I wouldn't direct them to a website or direct them really to anyone else until I had a conversation with them. And, you know, I have a deck that shows us, you know, all the things we've accomplished on the partnership for boys side. You know, this is what we do with parents and teachers, as well as what we do with kids. And these are all the different ways that we do it. And these are all the engagements that we've had and how many kids we've served, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But I always try to get a sense of uh, what people's interests are instead of just uh, you know, trying to get them a cut a check. And you know, I've done the Giving Tuesday kind of thing from time to time when it comes to that. And um, uh, you know, that's been, that's been fine, you know, but I always want it to be like a personal connection because I'm trying to build a tribe through that if, if, if possible. And on the impact ed side, we, we're not really collecting donations per se. Um, what we're doing right now is a very, very new organization. Um, we are um, trying to put a call out, so to speak, for folks who are, uh, who see themselves as someone who is trying to solve a problem in society, big or small, right? In the community, small or large, that uh, with, with in a way that did not exist before, right? So the whole social impact, social justice piece, it's like social entrepreneurship, right? So if you're trying to create something that didn't exist before to solve a problem, or if you're trying to uh, do something in a completely new way, and in either of those cases, if you feel like you are getting resistance from the world because they're looking at you because you're doing something crazy and because you're talking a language that nobody else understands, come to us. You'll find other people like you. And we get we have professional development opportunities where you can share your story and, you know, be able to, you know, uh, pour out your cup a little bit and enrich others, you know, and take something from that experience as well that will give you life to go back into the world where everybody thinks you're crazy and be able to sustain yourself until it's time for you to come back again and be with us. And, you know, we give you specific tools and knowledge and dispositions around that. And sometimes it's just, you know, just being part of the community and uh, trying to uh, find other people who are just open to listening and who appreciate you for what you are and who are totally, totally engaged with you when you are talking about the work, even if it's, even if it's work that they've never heard before. So I can imagine that this time for your organization, particularly that organization, is really busy because a lot of people have had to pivot, right? Because they either were furloughed or their job was eliminated completely. Mm -hmm. So I can imagine that a lot of people are looking for an organization like that and, you know, so that they can feed off of it and feel like they're not alone in yep. this 
in, during this you know, pandemic. Um, so if someone like me or someone else who's watching this wants to get involved, mm-hmm. you know, where, should, where can they start? I mean, I know you said to email you, but where can they start yeah. with that information? Uh, if they go to LinkedIn and they uh, go to uh, Impact Ed Community and it's impact.ed community, uh, we have a page there that I run actually. Um, our website is uh, socent.edu, which is which is short for Social Entrepreneur Educators, right? But it's socent.edu. You'll see um, our Impact Circle offerings. You'll see our Community Circle dates. You'll see um, the Impact papers that we've written so far. You'll see the blog post written by the Impact Ed Leadership. Mine is the first one. And, uh, and I'll be writing another one, in, I think next month, because it's my turn again. Uh, and what's kind of cool about the org in general is that we do everything online, we do everything through Zoom. Mm-hmm. And we've always done that because, um, you know, I live in New York. Um, another one of us lives in uh, Hawaii. Oh, um, wow. You know, uh, we have uh, someone in, um, in the Atlanta, Georgia area, someone who's in uh, Pennsylvania, and another person who's in the Bay Area. So we were all in the same room only once, and this was about a year ago, uh, February. Uh, we decided to have a small half-day conference on the campus of University of Pennsylvania in Philly. Um, but outside of that, we had never all been in the same room at the same time. So we've been doing this online thing uh, for a while leading up to that. And you know, has, we've kept it moving since. And having that one in-person, thing was great, you know, because it helped us blow up a little bit in terms of uh, people coming into town from really many places around the country and uh, appreciating that in-person experience and sticking with us. So we're going to try to replicate something like that, Um, not in person, but, you know, still have like a larger convening sometime soon. So socent.edu, I think is the best place to learn about stuff. And then, like I said, if you go to LinkedIn and go to impact.edcommunity, you can find us there too. That's awesome. Thank you. I definitely want to make sure that I share that information because it sounds pretty dynamic, but it also sounds that you were very forward thinking or the group of you were very forward thinking and probably may I add pandemic ready. Yeah. Yeah, we were without knowing it for sure. Without knowing it. Exactly. Exactly. That's great. So this is my time for a fun question. Okay. You know, this is coming um, because I like to end with a fun question before Um, We've been chatting for a little bit and it's been great. So thank you. So my fun question is about every time I'm on a Zoom call with you, you've always got these great t-shirts on. Okay. Um, So is this a hobby of yours? And if it is, tell me your favorite t-shirt and how you kind of pick the t-shirts that you like to wear. Because you always got some kind of heavy duty dope message across your chest. Yeah, the t-shirt thing... I, it started when I was in high school uh, because uh, I was like a, a real hardcore uh, basketball player. Um, and it was always really cool to, you know, show up at the gym or show up in some court somewhere, you know, in New York City with like some shirt. Right. And, uh, you know, I was never the stylish dude, you know, like I, I am the. Really? Uh, Really, really, I am the hardcore and always been the hardcore. I don't care about my appearance guy, period. Okay. Um, but, but, but I always like, but you know, but I always like t-shirts, you know, I did always like t-shirts. Um, and, but they haven't really been a thing thing for me. 
until uh, the pandemic. Okay. You know, because that's that's it. This is what you see, right? You know, this is this is your whole life. You know, um, I was always the suited and booted guy. Um, you know, once I graduated from college, and you know, especially when I uh, started to become uh, an administrator, you know, like I was, I was always about that life, and I had some real good role models in that regard. And I was like, oh, I want to look like them. I want to be sharp like them. So I did that. And um, but when I, but when I wasn't with a suit, I looked a hot mess. Like I was, there was no like in between. I was very bad at like you know the whole looking good while casual. I didn't do that. You know, I like I just finished playing ball. <laughs> or, <laughs> or I was in a suit. Okay. That's it. Uh, so the t-shirt thing is relatively new. So I try to do, I try to have t-shirts that say something or that are, you know, memorable in a sense. So um, yeah, this, this one is a uh, um, Brooklyn. We've been here, you know, with uh, Mars Blackman, my man, Spike mm-hmm. Lee. Um, so this is for the, uh, this is for the people who ain't been here. Uh, so someone got me a t-shirt um, and it had, uh, it had, you know, uh, Gordon Parks, you know, Malcolm X, oh, yeah. Langston Hughes. Um, and I was like, oh, they're all men. So I was like, that's, that's great. But, you know, I want some with, uh, you know, with women. So I found one uh, and uh, they had uh, Maya Angelou and I forget uh, who the other woman was on there. But it was like three men and two women. So I was like, okay. So I found one that had all women, but it was a girl's t-shirt. The woman's t-shirt. Uh, so I bought the biggest one possible, and uh, it's still it, it doesn't fit. It doesn't fit, and it doesn't fit well. Um, but on Zoom, but fine. on Zoom, that's right. Right, and on Zoom is fine, right? So I, you know, so I've worn that shirt, and uh, I love it. And uh, you know, I might have to like wear like you know a long a long sleeve t-shirt underneath it, and you know, adjust myself a little bit, but you know, like, it's fine, you know, we'll see how much play it gets, you know, when the world opens back up. Um, you know, I'm a confident person. And, you know, I'm getting up in age. So, you know, I I, I, care, I care less and less what other people think every day. I hear you. So I ended up picking, you know, I, I'm a target girl. So I didn't see a shirt that I loved. I got my son one, but I found I love this. So it can keep me on track with my water all day long. So yeah. it says Black Pride 24-7, 365. So yeah, my target find. And the Black history or Black um, entrepreneurs who are supporting, who Target is supporting, right? Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've and they've featured them pretty prominently as Very well. Very prominently. Which, which is why I said, yes, yeah, like you know, well, I'm not buying this in a Black-owned store, right. which is fine. You know, I shop Black all the time, uh, but I'm not mad that Target um, is really putting itself out there, like you said, you know, promoting these, uh, these entrepreneurs, uh, giving them a shot and, um, you know, hopefully that continues, right. You know, them mm-hmm. giving, right. giving folks like them a shot and hopefully it's all year round and hopefully oh, it's yep. not just, in, not just t-shirts and all those things. Right. Right. So right, right, you right. have to be on the lookout, stay vigilant and all that stuff. But, you know, when they do a good thing, you know, you gotta give them credit right. for it. So, Clyde, this has been incredibly informative and fun for me. I hope it's been fun for you, too. Um, and if it's not, you can tell me afterwards. But, <laughs> <laughs> but for now, just say yes. It's been great. Yes, it's been great, Vera. <laughs> um, give me a final thought. You know, like, what do you want to leave with people to know about Clyde Cole? Like, what's something that you want to make sure that everybody knows about Clyde? 
and wow. does not have to be serious. Oh, that's good. Okay. I mean, that that does not narrow it down. It makes it even. I know. Because <laughs> I only have a little serious stuff, and then that's it. Um, what uh, what would I like people to leave knowing about me? Um, uh, I'm a work in progress. Uh, you know, one of my core beliefs as an educator is that um, everybody has the capacity to change uh, at all times, right? And uh, if I didn't believe that, then you know, my 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 approach to education would be warped. And so, uh, if I believe that. If I believe that in others, um, I have to believe that about myself too. So I am not the person uh, that I was five years ago, 10 years ago, and five, 10 years from now, I will not be this person either. So I'm a work in progress. So um, I am learning to appreciate myself in the moment at all times. And hopefully you can too. Awesome. Thank you, Clyde. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Very cool. All right, y'all. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the No Good People podcast. Want to share your story? Cool. Hit me up at nogoodpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Vera Smith-Winfrey. And remember, it's always good to know good people. The No Good People podcast is co-produced by Diana Guzman Productions and So Very Vera Productions. The No Good People podcast can be streamed through Apple, Spotify, and other selected streaming services.